So we are back with our mini-series on women in horror titled Not Your Scream Queen, and I'm really excited about this. <laughs> this is one of the ones I've had the most fun with so far, I think. This is, I think, the most focused we've gotten, which for people who have been listening, they know just how remarkable that truly, truly. is. <laughs> you have two hosts, with a, both with ADHD, like for real, and pretty broad topics in the past and this has been yeah much more focused but the research for if you can even call it research for this one has been just a blast like I have loved it so much getting to watch like horror movies and just take notes and kind of like dive a little bit deeper into them to but but it also it's kind of weird because horror is a genre that unless it is just normally like a remark remark remarkable what is that remarkable movie (laughs) I don't find myself diving real deep. Like when I watched a movie that we're going to talk yeah. about in another episode called The Babadook, I was like thinking about it for days. But usually I watch like a slasher flick and I'm like, oh, that was entertaining. And then that's it. So to like kind of dive into these a little bit more has been fun. It's been interesting, especially like looking at it from a writing standpoint, um, you know, at the different characters. Totally. And, you know, I'm going to stick with that research tag you gave it because that was basically my entire communications major when I was in college. We had a, quote, lab where we watched movies and then we went to, to our actual class and we talked about them. So I'm sticking by it. That's... It's legit. This is my education you're talking about. I think about. we talked in our uh, <laughs> apocalypse episode. I told you about Okay, so you know I moved like 12 times from fifth grade through my senior year. And yeah. we went. I, w- I ended up at this like really small school one time in the seventh grade class in my science class that was supposed to be science, but we had this teacher that was ancient and he was obsessed with science fiction and all we did the entire time was watch science fiction movies like Soylent Green and Amazing. Cocoon and like all these things and then we would have tests on them. <laughs> so yeah, research. Yeah. Well, and I think it makes sense, too. Like, I really think we're getting to a point where this is a defensible thing. Like, if we're going to read books as art and talk about them as a medium that needs to be dissected and really thought about critically, I think we're also at a point where film truly does also merit. There's there's a literary level of film, and I think there always has been. And uh, giving it that spotlight and that critical thinking. No, I agree. I, think, I agree. And I, f- I, I love movies. Like, I love movies like it like the one of the hardest things for me and this is such a first world problem but with the pandemic has been not being able to go to the movies like yeah (laughs) well like you know I grew up in the back of a video store for a little while and like it's just always kind of been my thing so I'm here for it if we can count that as art and discussion um so today we are talking about a French film that EJ actually picked called he loves me he loves me not and did you want to do a quick recap I can't remember if we did this with Jennifer's body but I think it's a good idea like just to kind of give a quick rundown of the movie I think it's a great idea I also feel like I should give some setup as to how I personally came across this movie so if you don't mind, or if you do at this point, because I've already started, go, I'm just going to go, go there. there, and then I will get into the movie synopsis itself, too, because this one's a real flashback for me, uh, back to my college days. Uh, so first of all, this was released in 2002, which uh, I was in college, 03 to 07, so we found it a little bit behind the ball, but um, maybe some of that is accounting for crossing the ocean. I truly France wondered about that here. as I watched it. I was like, okay... Because there would it it 
holds up well, but there were little things mm. that I was like, okay, she's using a payphone. Okay, when does this take place? <laughs> right. Well, and I thought the uh, the style and the visuals of it, it really, really felt more 90s yeah. to me. Um, but anyway, so I think it was my freshman or sophomore year. We were, as one did back then, uh, wandering Blockbuster, me and some of my college buddies. And we had also, maybe a month or two earlier, really, really geeked out over okay. Amelie, which is also a French film, also starring the same actress, which was why it jumped out at me. Um, and the actress's okay. name is Audrey Tutu. And um, so she's got that like super cute French little face of hers. And uh, she's very quirky. If you've seen Amelie, uh, you know that that's a very playful, whimsical, strange movie by design. And <laughs> just like the most French thing ever. It was bizarre, uh, but also just super cute and endearing. And so um, you see that same cute little face on the front of this movie and we had no idea what we were getting into we just thought oh something you know quirky and cute and foreign again because we were dumb college kids and so we picked it up along with a few others and we popped it in and we were so excited and for the first little bit it starts with um the main character angelique who is picking out a flower at a flower shop. She's going to send it to her boyfriend to commemorate, I don't know what, they've been seeing like each other a month or something? Their meet, the anniversary of their meeting or something like that, yeah. Okay, okay. So something like that, and uh, she sends it to him, and then she goes off on her bicycle and has her nice little day, and she's an artist, and she's just won some sort of scholarship. An art scholarship? Like, it's very, and yeah, like very scholarship. Quirky. Yeah, yeah, and uh, she goes to the cafe she works at where she's got this friend and her daughter, the friend's daughter, <laughs> to be clear. And she takes along this guy who has a massive crush on her to this like cocktail party, which feels very kind of like adult for them, uh, a little bit off their scene, but uh, her boyfriend's going to be there. And so the, the, the first kind of hang up you realize about this movie is that her boyfriend uh, has a wife and so they're like playing it cool and, and kind of like making eyes across the room and sneaking off behind into the hallway to have a quick moment so that his wife right. doesn't catch and on. at this point you could think, and okay, then, maybe this is just really French. Like maybe this is a right. culture thing. <laughs> I don't know. But, but even, but even her friends are kind of side-eyeing her on this whole dating right. the married guy right. thing. Her French friends. So I uh, so it goes on like that for a little bit and you know she at some point borrows her friend's like moped and gets kind of like bumped up and so she comes to work a little bumped up she loses her job uh but then like it's a little bit up and down because he's going to leave his wife for her but then his wife has a miscarriage oh she, his wife yeah. is pregnant I should have I should have plugged that one a little bit earlier <laughs> very, sorry very pregnant uh, like 5 months <laughs> pregnant yeah, like very pregnant, like very bulbous belly. But anyway, so she ends up having a miscarriage. And so he cancels this getaway they were going to do and stays by his wife's side instead. And, you know, at that point, she's starting to feel a little bit blue, a little sad, a little bit down on this whole relationship. Boy, I feel like I'm missing a few plot points in there of some of like the minor notes, but what it ends up doing is it spirals back around and goes back to the beginning where she's picking out the flower 
And then it goes the other way. Instead of following Angelique, it goes to the boyfriend, who is a cardiologist. And uh, he receives the flower, assumes it's from his wife, and, you know, is just going about his business. He's got this one patient who's really annoying and is always trying to, like, come in. Like, she's clearly just, like, lonely and needs some attention. Um, is maybe borderline sexually harassing her doctor. <laughs> you must <laughs> examine me. Or, or yes. desperately. <laughs> right. Um, so so that's all happening. But like by and large, his life is pretty normal. He and his wife are really happy for this child they're about to have. And he doesn't seem to, you know, have any connection to this girl, Angelique. And you start to find Hard that he's being stalked. <laughs> So it's got this like almost literal like er, like scratch yes. of the record kind of moment where it rewinds well, back to the beginning. Right, in the middle of the movie. That's one thing I thought this movie did great. And like I've never really seen a movie actually do this before. Like normally you integrate both stories into one timeline. But this, like you said, it completely showed Angelique's point of view. And I kind of had been warned what to look for. And if I hadn't have, I would have thought... It had a very, like, like you said, like, 90s, like, lifetime movie vibe almost. Like, just over the top. Mm -hmm. Like, this older guy is dating this student. And obviously, he's not going to leave his pregnant wife. And he's dragging her along. And her friends are telling her, leave him. He's not good for you. And she just can't get over it. And you think, okay, this guy is really not good. He is just jerking this girl around. (laughs) And then, like, it gets to this really dark moment And it literally rewinds the tape in front of you and shows it backwards. And then, like EJ said, shifts the camera, moves all the focus onto the doctor, and you realize, oh, shit. He has, this girl is, like, not just, like, little love notes stalking him, sending him gifts, sending him letters. Like, he dropped a scarf in the driveway, and she found it and was like, it's a token of our love. I got your gift. She bought tickets for him and, like, planned the trip. She, oh God, it, it gets dark. She gets. It gets weird. And it's so wild, the little details that watching it a second time, it like, cause there is, there's that moment of like, wait, where did this scarf even come from? All of a sudden she won't let go of the scarf. She's got it in like every scene. And then it's not until you see the other side of it that you see it like fall out of his bag and she's house sitting at the house next door and like goes out and takes right. it after he leaves. And yeah, so so you start to see all these little things come together that maybe you would not even have thought about on her side of it. And you're just like, oh, oh there's, shit. Oh, I'm so, sorry. Like, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I get so excited. Go ahead. <laughs> about this. Like, I really think this movie was well done, even though it's kind of aged. Well, like, okay, so like you said, when they were at the, I don't know what to call it, banquet fundraiser thing, and she's there mm-hmm. with her boyfriend and, like, you think, oh, like, because it shows him going upstairs and or her going upstairs and following him and then seeing him in the bathroom. And, like, you think they're having a moment. But when you sit from his point of view, it's obvious that she was trying to bump into him and he was just like, hey, who are you? You're staying next door and house sitting. Okay, cool. Call me sometime for a drink. And then before you see, like, his point of view, it shows them riding home together. But then you find out he was just giving her, like, the student in a – completely non-creepy way a ride to her house no. but she saw it like there was a song on the radio and she took it as their song you remember that song like love is na, 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 na. 
no, no. That song plays yeah, through it everywhere. Yeah. And Ow. there's another time in the middle of the night where it shows him like knocking on her door. Like when you're seeing it from her point of view, like the director did a really great job with this. And you're like, okay, well, why is he at her house? And she wasn't there. Well, it, it's because she's the next door neighbor. And his wife, his very pregnant wife, wanted a glass of milk. And so he was going over there to borrow a glass of milk. And so when you see all this from his point of view, you're like, oh, wow. Okay. This woman's got problems. <laughs> oh, and do you want to talk about when she had her moped accident? Like how deranged she's gotten. Yeah. Yeah. So in her mind, he's not leaving his wife because of the pregnancy. And so she goes out on her friend's borrowed moped and, like, runs down the wife. What's still not clear to me about that, um, which, and runs down the wife, which then leads to the miscarriage, like a very direct Correlation. Yeah, yeah. line. Uh, she killed the baby. And what I was really not clear on that was, did she really intend to just cause a miscarriage or did she right, intend to kill the Right, because she is straight up, like, you... In the beginning, you think she wouldn't go that far with it. But by the end, you realize she absolutely yeah. would. It's like very... Do you remember... And then this has been like 20 years. I saw this movie as a kid. So I could be... Remember, remember video store. Remembering it way wrong. But like Single White Female. <laughs> was that the movie? Or was it... Mm. It was the one where she... The woman had a crush on the guy and like he like slept with her. And then he wouldn't leave his wife. And so she like kept inserting herself into his life. And like... They had, like, a pet bunny, and, like, she boiled it on the stove and left for them to see it. I mean, it doesn't show her killing it, but you know that's what happened. And it's oh, got very so – I could be giving it – nope, that's not the right movie. It's not Single White Female. It's – that was the one with the movie. That was the one with the roommate. Oh, God. Now i got to find it. I'll find it. <laughs> yeah. I'm it was a very big, like, late 80s, oh. early 90s movie. Yeah, well, and I got to say, you know, there are a few different ways to spin this film. And um, I, I found it to be a pretty clever twist on a few different horror tropes, especially like the, the traditional female role in like a romance or a horror. Um, but I guess we should finish the Oh, the yeah. Synopsis. Oh, and the movie was Fatal Attraction. Um, so... Sorry. 1987. Sharon oh, okay. Stone. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of those classics, and I really should. So you start to see this all unravel. She causes a miscarriage for his wife. Um, later on, the uh, the very needy patient who won't leave the doctor alone ends up suing him for harassing her um, because she kind of, like, starts... She pushes him too hard on the wrong day, and he does end up kind of, like, grabbing her and shaking her because he's and, lost it. And that in itself um, is a direct correlation from Angelique, too. Because at this point, he doesn't yes. know she's the one stalking him. He is getting bizarre gifts. His wife is leaving him because she thinks that he's having an affair. And so she... This, this, this very needy patient shows up right after this very bizarre thing is delivered to the office. It's like a human heart with an arrow through it that she got her, (laughs) she got her doctor medical school friend that has the crush on her to, to steal the heart for. And so he's freaked out. And then the needy patient comes in. And so he thinks at this point, he doesn't know who it is. He is questioning his long-term friends, male and female. Like he does not know. Like, yeah. one of his friends that's a physical therapist comes in and, like, rubs his shoulders, and he, like, freaks out and falls out of his chair. Like, he is just clearly losing it. So he, like, grabs this woman, this and he shakes guy. her. He's like, leave me alone. And so she sues him. Yeah. Because she's already been acting a little loopy, so it's not too much of a leap for him Completely to actually loopy, think that it was yes. her. 
so anyway, so now he's in trouble and getting sued for that. And so um, Angelique goes to this woman's house and kills her and then tries to make it look like a botched uh, robbery by taking a few random things <laughs> and then is very distressed to find that the person she was suing, the doctor himself, is now being accused of committing the crime, which like we should logic, say, but sure. okay, at this point, the doctor's wife has left him, but she is an attorney. So this act actually gets them back together because she realizes, hey, he's not a killer. Something is really going on here and he's going to need a lawyer. So she's back in the life. And is this is the point where it, like, originally we saw and then it rewound and it showed us the second part. Right. When they come back together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just watched it. Like, so, okay, Angelique at this point is going to commit suicide because she thinks, oh, he's back with his wife. I'll never get him. He still doesn't know it's her. She lives literally next door to him. She's house sitting this like gorgeous French house. And she's supposed to be working on this art scholarship. It's very prestigious. And like, she's clearly losing it. Like he is the complete focal point of her life. So she cuts on the gas and she like lays down. Well, then something happens. Somebody sees it and calls whatever French 911 is. And like their policemen and, and ambulances and everybody show up. They bring him out. She, he, the doctor, leaves his house. And he's like, wait, I'm a doctor. I can help. And so he starts doing CPR. And he revives her. And so, of course, for her, that is a sign that they are meant to be together. And at this point, it's way past the midpoint of the movie. So I'm like, holy crap. Like, what else can happen here? Like, where, where is this going? So he visits her in the hospital. He still doesn't know. And then I don't remember exactly what makes it click I think it's like a phrasing of some word some sentence like she hasn't she's like I have no one oh oh I remember because yeah like the the, the entire movie is like kind of like yes. downplayed very stoic so it was really subtle but she says a line that matches with something she said the first night at the uh the cocktail party i think it was a line that correlated to something she had said earlier or Mm -hmm. oh in the letter in the letter with the flower that's what it was and it hits him all at once and so him and his wife are gonna leave they're gonna get out of there before she gets out of the hospital which she gets out early and then she sees him and he's like you imagined it all there's nothing and this is very dramatic this is very melodramatic but i'm like here for it at this point she of course gonks him over the head with a bookend or something and he falls down the stairs yeah, and she gets does. carried mm-hmm. to the mental yeah. health facility and it's like errata something i forget the title of it but basically a fatal attraction she she invented this whole yeah. relationship that wasn't there and meanwhile he's like relearning how to walk and his wife is taking care of him and fast forward three years she gets removed and like this is definitely the only way this movie could end they're like with your medicine and your rehab you've done great and so she leaves and then they're coming to get the room together for the next patient and the guy's cleaning the room and he pulls the bureau away from the wall and there is a mural of the doctor made completely out of pills psychiatric medicine that she had not been taking yeah so she ain't dumb (laughs) she going she's going back (laughs) she's gonna get her man yeah yeah 
Oh, boy. So, yeah, the, the condition that she has is called erotomania, okay. which is a real diagnosable mental illness, which is part of what makes this so interesting and a little bit more nuanced to me. And then they end it with a quote from a patient with erotomania. I, I actually wrote it down because I thought it very interesting and also a little just haunting. So the, the closing quote after the end of the actual film is, Though my love is insane, my reason relieves the pain in my heart, telling me to be patient and not lose hope. Which is circular almost because real reason would tell you to like go of it. Right. right? So... It's like they recognized that there was a problem with their obsession, but their logic was still like everything else about them was still telling them to stick with it and just go all in anyway, which is kind of wild and really definitely goes along with the themes in this movie. Definitely. (laughs) But um, but there was something about this. I mean, like it was definitely very different in tone and treatment, but. Uh, something about crazy ex-girlfriends kept coming back to me with uh, the mental illness factor of this simply because it kind of calls out some tropes uh, that are so typical of a romance. This idea that it's fine for her to be so obsessive about this guy because they're in love. The idea that she is going to get, you know, like the, this idea that she can just keep relentlessly pursuing him because they're going to have their happily ever to after. her own destruction, yeah. Out. Like, this is how you get love. Uh, This kind of behavior, if you love someone, is not only justified but rewarded. And then to go back and dial it all to the beginning and find out that, no, this is not a way to behave. This is a mental illness. is very much on theme with some of what I really loved about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because it's kind of just like pinpointing all of those really weird things that we get so used to in pop culture uh, devices that are just like, no. No, we should yeah, not be like behaving if would, this if way. This, <laughs> if this was just presented as a rom-com, it would be her. So what would happen would be she would be acting this way after this guy and it would be considered cute. No, she's trying to get her man. And meanwhile, she would fall for the guy that like actually really likes her and has her best interest at heart. But she would have still done all this stuff like in pursuit of him. That just isn't like, uh, I Honestly, the way they did it, where they, they basically cut it in half and showed us fully, like not integrated this scene, that scene, but like fully, like two different movies on the same topic, to me was perfect. Like it's what made it work because you would see the scene and you're like, oh yeah, something didn't seem right there. Like you didn't even realize it at the time. And you're like, oh right. yeah, oh, that's not good. Like, I mean, she would send him like paintings of himself and he would be like, okay, I guess a patient sent me this. Like, you know. Where did this right. come from? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, wild I've stuff. never seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. <sighs> it's good. Oh, you really should. It's very funny. I'll say this. It's, it, it took me a few episodes to get into it and kind of get the thing. It's very kitschy. Um, in some ways, it had a vibe similar to Glee, if you ever saw Glee. And not just because it was a musical, but because it like everything they did, they overdid. And at first, it was like, this is not my thing. But it very quickly turns really snarky and really layered and really funny. And once you get 
into it and kind of find your place with it. It's so good. Uh, it's it's really easy to see why it's been nominated for so many awards. Um, they're just very clever. I'll have to check it out. I remember Over hearing there. about it, and I remember it being a musical, but it was one that kind of just slipped through the cracks for me. But I have it written down. I will look at it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was really put off for it for years without really knowing much about it just because of the title. I was like, that's so fucking sexist. Right. What's going on here? And then, like, that's the entire that's... joke of it. Like, they, they know exactly what they're doing. And if I had just paid a little bit closer attention for one right. more second, like I would have known it on that. its head. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. yeah. What was I going to say? Oh, it's gone. I don't know. It wasn't important. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about this? Let's talk about this then. Um, this poor medical student who is so in love with Angelique the entire time and just okay. does whatever she suggests. This poor kid needs his own diagnosis. He steals a human heart from one of his labs so that she can send a human heart she just manipulates other him. Lover. That's like even if you don't like have a scent of anything else being wrong, like what? Like shouldn't that just sound all of the right. alarms? Well, that was one thing about this movie that I thought was interesting because you don't know it's a human heart until you see it from his point of view. Like, she whispers it in his ear, and he's like, no, no, no. But that's, like, basically the reaction. And then he's like, okay. Like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. Okay. Oh, and, for you. <laughs> yeah, like that. Like, it's not over the top. And then there's a point where her best friend figures out she killed the woman. It's not over the top. She's like, we should go to the police. We're not going to the police because I will tell your boss you've been stealing money. Well, okay, I guess we're not going to the police. Like, it's just... Right. Everything about this film is so underplayed. Very much. And I feel like that's why it works. Um, and, mm. you know, there's... Not to say it doesn't have its problems. I mean, it, it does, but it was very entertaining. It was very entertaining. Yeah. But what, yeah, what you said about... You know, I really didn't think about that. But I guess on another level, that kind of shows how manipulative she is. And I really didn't think about it that way. Like, I knew she was doing these terrible things. But I, I was thinking of it as she's, like, in her own head. And she's got this problem. But really, she's super manipulative. Because she's not just, like, pursuing this guy. She's manipulating her best friend, who was, like, her ride or die, who was, like, there for her. Um, she's manipulating this guy that is clearly in love with her and does numerous things for her because he believes everything she says. He believes that she has had a fling with this guy and he is treating her like dirt. So he has actually confronted this doctor and the doctor has no idea what he's talking about. And he's just like, okay, <laughs> the secretary. get out of here. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, that poor secretary. She was so bad at her job. And then so he finally gets, he finally fires her. And like, that's one of the more likable things about him was he was so, well, he had such a hard time like being the asshole who was going to fire her. But they, like, she was botching a really important job in a medical office. And so all of the cardiologists agreed he had, like, they had to fire her. And he finally gets himself together to do it. And then as soon as he does, some rando guy comes in and accosts, her, accosts him over, like, I, I mean, they're really vague about it, so it works. But um, he thinks it's over the secretary, and it's actually over Angelique and breaking her heart. So it's just, like, it's such a funny, like, mistrained sort of situation of just, like, There's a lot of that where there's, <laughs> like, um, like, it almost shouldn't work, but it works because of the way they did it, where it's almost, it's, like, misunderstandings, where if they'd had any more of a conversation, it wouldn't have worked. And I will say, this guy is a very 
likable character once you see his point of view. And she is a very unlikable character. And at first I was like, oh, great. We're like, after I watched it, I had to think about it for a minute because I was like, like, what are they saying? Like, the woman is crazy. She's after the man. She, you know, like, she's the villain. She has a mental illness. She does these bad things. But also, it wasn't, I mean, there were other women in the movie that were clearly good. And mm-hmm. I like a female villain and if they're fleshed out. I and she too. was fully fleshed out. I mean, she wasn't just like, you could see she believed with every ounce of her being, like, what she was doing. Yeah, they were meant to be together, they were in love, and they were going to be yeah. together. Yeah, she just had to do enough to And honestly, to though, there. I didn't get it. Like, I'm like, this is this is the guy? Like, this this married guy right. with a pregnant wife? Okay. <laughs> right. You do you, sister. Like, whatever. And, and I will say, you know, despite everything that happens over the course of this film, I do think that ultimately she gets a pretty sympathetic treatment in that she is, you know, diagnosed. Right. She is appropriately treated. You see all of this happen and you see that, you know, like there's legitimately something that needs to be addressed in her. Right. And not just that she's psychotic and broken in the way that you often will see, you know, like in misery where it's just like this woman's crazy. And I feel like that's one of the reasons like the mental illness aspect didn't rub me the wrong way because she wasn't just villainized and thrown away without a key. She like was actually they were like, okay, she's got a problem. Sent to, like, this hospital, rehabbed, but she's, like, very smart. So she's not really rehabbed, but she she could have been. She wasn't just, like, thrown away. Yeah, like, everyone around her did everything they could to be like, honey, let us help you. Right. Um, you know, you need therapy. You need medication. You're going to be okay. I don't know enough about mental health to know how much they should have known the degree of her manipulation in such a case. It seems right. like a lot of time they are kind of checking to see you that the pills are really gone i don't know but um, oh, and I can't, this can't be but like, that in, aside in yeah. real life yeah. this cannot be like that common of a disorder because i i geek question. out over psychology and you know i i deal with mental stuff and i had never i guess i'd heard of like obsession but i didn't know erotomania like as a term so that's kind of interesting to think about and you would think too that it maybe it's not considered super dangerous but then I also thought what if the gender like what if it was gender flipped and it was a man doing all this for a while to me that would almost be more of a horror movie I guess because we hear about that sort of thing happening more often in real life so it kind of relates a little bit more yeah you know when it when a man gets that creepy and pushy right I mean delusional is a different level I suppose but um but yeah it's not something that we it's often consider needs to be diagnosed because that kind of entitlement is so right. It's like uh. standard. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I'm trying to think of a specific one now, but there are definitely films out there of a, a stalker coming after a woman. And I mean, in those cases, I usually read the scenario as like a dominant predatory male coming after a female victim. And something about this, and I think some of it is the gender flip, but also I think a big part of it was the way that the film was treated, seeing both sides, the the way that it ends with her in treatment and all of that sort of stuff that really kept away from those kind of like villain victim dynamics in the same way. I mean, like the man was definitely a victim of a crazy person. Right. But they were, there was no, it wasn't simplified to just that. Like right. They were both 
much more than that. There wasn't just a victim who was being preyed upon. Everything was flushed out all the way around. Mm -hmm. And also, I think, too, that plays a part in it is the person, and I'm like, obviously, in real life, I'm not making excuses for anybody being stalked. I'm just talking about this movie. (laughs) He is stronger than her. He has, like, more money than her. He's probably smarter than her because he comes across kind of that way, like having his stuff together on screen. So the reason she was able to hurt him is because he did not have a clue. Yeah. You know, like he could have totally outmaneuvered her if he would have had any idea of what was going on. It was just, he was just that caught off guard. Yeah. Which really added to it. Do you think that's part of why he couldn't recognize her for what she was? I think he was looking for something completely Mm. different because every time he saw her, he saw like young student because she would just smile. She wouldn't even really have a conversation with him. She would just smile and kind of nod and be like, oh, I'm next door. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think he thought, oh, that's just the nice kid next door because he was probably what, 40s, you would say? Yeah. It's hard to tell, like early 40s. And she looked like early 20s. So, I mean, she was college age, so... It's almost sweet that he didn't think of her that way, in the, like, even on a surface level. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I do love her as a villain. Thinking of her yeah. as a bad guy and, like, being able to do this, I'm like, this is this is really great. Um, do you feel like... One thing I wondered about, though, so I know horror and thriller, mm-hmm. like, psychological thriller especially, they're siblings, mm-hmm. I feel like. I feel like it, it can boil down to, like, what we show on the screen or on the page as being the only difference and so I went back and forth with this one between wondering if it is truly horror or if it is more of a psychological thriller yeah and I think you know when I was reading up on it after and trying to get a kind of a temp check on how it was received um I did see it getting called a psychological thriller a lot and I think the one piece of this that kind of nudged it over towards horror for me was actually the heart in the box Yep, and that's then the, true. the two yep. murals that she does of him, the one in the house she's house sitting at, and then the one at the end that you see again are so creepy that those three points together kind of pushed it over for me. But boy, does it walk the line. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about those murals. So she completely is a very talented artist. She has won this coveted scholarship. <laughs> she paints a picture for him that is just like this bright colors, gorgeous, you know, whatever. She can, she's talented. He goes to check on the house once he starts figuring things out. And he walks in and this place is just like a dump. Like she has trashed it. You can tell somebody is not, somebody's having problems that's living there. She's unraveling. Like they're not caring for themselves. She has a mural of him on the wall made completely of garbage. I think his lips are, like, made out of orange peels or something. Yeah. Like, it's just... I paused it and looked at it. I was like, what in the world? It was stuff you would find in the trash can. It's like fuzz from the couch. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, snap. This is uh, <laughs> this is dark. She is losing right? it. Right, because, like, what does it say that, like, you are so obsessed and in love with this person and the thing that you create your mural of him out of is rash like it's such a I guess like an inner reflection of her state but it was wild it was wild and I did not see that coming (laughs) I guess like that was the moment I was like not the heart you would think the heart in the box okay she's killed a woman okay I should know 
But I saw the trash mural and I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah so it's going to get pretty dark yeah. around here. And yeah. I don't know if you remember because I had not remembered this from the first time I saw it. But she is talking to her um, friend at the cafe's daughter at one point. And I think. Okay. I forget how it comes up. I think the daughter wants a cat. And um, Angelique tells her about how when she was little, she had wanted a cat. And her parents said I no. And so she created her own cat the same way she creates her little mural of uh, the doctor with like little collected bits and pieces of trash and waste, like just like whatever she could pick up little scraps and yeah. just creates this She cat. even says, everyone called it a mural, but to me it was a cat. And I would stroke it when I was feeling sad. I didn't put that together, mm. but. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, it didn't even register did the same for me thing the first him. time I saw it way back when. But this time she started talking about it and it was just like, oh, it was just like so cringy. Such foreshadowing. Yeah. Oh. An- another thing they do in this movie really good is, well, like, now listeners, you know what to expect. But if you didn't know what to expect, when it comes on, it is happy music. It is her cutting things out of paper. It's getting ready to go to a flower shop. Like using, you could be watching like an early 2000s Mm rom-com. Like it has that complete vibe of that time period of everything. You don't know what you're in for. And honestly, probably with all the movies available on Netflix and everything, I would have never watched this one um, unless you suggested it to me and said, hey, you need to watch this because I didn't know what to expect from mm-hmm. looking at it and reading it and it was in French and you like everything but I'm honestly I'm glad I did like I was <laughs> highly entertained yeah. I as a writer I was really paying attention to how they revealed the information because to me it just worked mm-hmm. so well like because it was that twist it was the twist made the movie if they didn't have that twist I would be like okay yeah you know same old song and dance but yeah it worked yeah well. and just like a light little quirky rom-com is exactly what we thought we were getting when I picked it up with my friends back into an 0203 I suppose I and would have loved to be a clown <laughs> such a, which like what it ended up being was a lot more our usual speed but we saw Amelie on the cover and we had to check it out and so we were starting to get to that point I think we were just kind of like eh this isn't what I signed up for and then it flips and we were like okay here we are (laughs) can you imagine like your friends going through a breakup so you're getting some rom-coms you're getting some ice cream you're getting some wine you're gonna have a girl's night you maybe bought leap year sleepless in seattle let's be sophisticated let's go french (laughs) oh shit but like you said this would be much more in my wheelhouse personally if I was going through something I'd be like Kill the yeah. bastard. Like, and here we are, like, almost 20 years later. It really left an impression, clearly. Oh, clearly. Boy. I'm so glad you picked this one. So, I'm not, like, like we're saying, it's it's not without its problems. Yeah. Obviously. It's 20 years old. But I would, you know, I would say, I would suggest it. I would say, hey, watch this. If you're, if you're wanting something a little different, you can watch it. I think I watched it on... I think it's on Cinemax right now, so you can uh, do what I did and get the free week. Yeah, and watch that's the what movie, I did too. You know, <laughs> watch all the movies I can watch. And uh, yeah, and this was the first film by. Um, it was directed by Letitia Columbani, and so this was like her first like shot 
this was like her first mark in the, the film world too. And so I thought that this was pretty artfully done for someone who was doing their first film. Just a little shout out. Yeah. No, that's great. It, it was very well done. So what, now that we've covered He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not, let's just, uh, have you been reading anything good? Yes, I've been reading. So I just finished Little Fires Everywhere. So that was a lot of fun, a little bit. I like to pick up some of those like big literary ones every once in a while and try to try to get myself a little cultured. But uh, <laughs> but no, it was a really good read. Uh, I've now just today started the first episode of the Hulu adaptation. So that's been interesting. Already there's some things that are okay. a little bit different, but some things that I'm really liking. Um, all in all, I thought it was a pretty solid, you know, contemporary literary tale okay i haven't dove in yet i started the series mm. the um the who is it it's on, on hulu, hulu. Said, i think hulu yes i started because reese witherspoon mm. i love her but um i haven't had the opportunity to really dive into it but it was really a trip for me because like we're the like that time period right. is like we're the we're the kids age yeah. in that movie and i'm like i remember that hairstyle i remember oh my that God, the hair clip. this it has they they did a great job on getting the whole feel right you know yeah it was so I'm really enjoying kind of like my my part two of that with the Hulu adaptation and then I just picked up uh actually should talk about this a little bit first um my good friend uh Gareth Frank is another DC author and we actually met in our first like beginner writers course here in Bethesda at the Writer Center and coming out of the course, some of us got together and started a writer's group that we um, started meeting regularly coming out of that so that we could stay in touch with it. And so uh, Gareth saw some of my first pages of what eventually became Mud. And I saw some of okay. his first pages for what eventually became this book, which it's called Shit. <laughs> no, that's Okay. I like the... Oh, what did he end up titling it? Well, while you look for that, I'll just say I read... I'm in the middle... Okay, I have a pretty good to-be-read list, especially since you've introduced me to Libby, because now I am addicted to going on there as soon as I hear of a book and putting it in my queue. And so now I have this pressure for like 25 books to read, and I'm like, this is what EJ was talking about, the pressure of the Libby queue, and it is... Real. But you know how to um you know how to defer your hold, right? Yes. Yeah, like I'm addicted doing to it. that. Like I I'm, abuse it. A mad yeah. woman. I've done it. Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. I'm reading a book called Conjure Women. Well, you go ahead and then we'll come back to it. Okay. Um so, so Gareth friend. Frank's novel is The Moment Between and it's a psychological, okay. kind of like metaphysical thriller. So it's got some speculative in there, but much more rooted in the real world. It's about some doctors who, um, the main character, Dr. Metzger, his wife died some years previous, but it kind of, they start doing some research into what happens after you die. And so it goes into some weird areas with that. Um, So I've only read pieces of this at different points of the revision process and most of it out of order. so I don't want to say too much with too much confidence because I don't know where it ended up, but it's it's really <laughs> fun to like have the full book in my hands and just read it from start to finish all together. That is definitely one of the perks of 
writing yeah. books is being able to read early drafts and then when they become books being able to read and see kind of like the changes the author decided yes, to make so much yeah that. it's really good so far so i am reading conjure women and it is by i wrote like all my notes about this book and then i forgot to write the author's name it is by afia atakora a-f-i-a-a-t-a-k-o-r-a mm. And it has a beautiful cover. Like, honestly, that's why I picked it up. I had not heard a lot about this book. It kept getting in my Kindle, like how they'll say more for you or whatever. It kept coming up and I was like, oh, okay, we'll give it a chance. And it, it takes place during slavery and then post-slavery. And it, it I would... I'm really weird about reading slave narratives. I will only read them if they're by a black author. Like that's just mm-hmm. where I'm at personally. No judgment on anybody else, but me personally, that's where I'm at. It is so well done. It is so good. It is about um, a girl, a woman, and when in the modern, not modern, but the after the slavery, a woman whose mom was a slave and she was a slave when she was a daughter. And her mom was like the healing woman. And now it's just the timeline flips and flops back and forth and you see her relationship like with the owner's daughter and like how that shaped her and like how this this street preacher comes in after it's like um freedom time is what they call it it goes from slavery time to freedom time and all these events and it's very literary but it has one thing i like is like the hoodoo and the magic it, it portrays it as this woman is just very smart. She understands herbs. She understands people. She is just sharp as they come. She's sharp as they come when she's a slave. She's sharp as they come afterwards. And you think the magic isn't real. It's just this really intelligent woman that knows how to manipulate people and knows how to manipulate the situation because you have to to stay on top yeah. in those circumstances, right? Not, I mean, it's not even on top, but to, yeah. to live, um, taking care of people. But then something will be happen. Something will happen like it'll say like, well, she turned the person and they grew wings and flew away like a crow. And so you're like, okay, is the magic real? Like, it's so good. And I'm about 75% of the way done. I will let you know, but I, it it took me a little bit to get into it, but that was only because I didn't know, like I knew nothing. I went in blind with the book. And so I was trying to like kind of figure out what I was reading because of the, you know, the timeline flipping back and forth. You're, You're essentially reading two books before you figure out who all the characters are. And it was, it was really good. It was really good. And then next up on my list is Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson, who was actually in Pitch Wars, I think, with me. And it looks really exciting. It is a historical, I want to say historical fantasy, but it takes place like, it, it has to do with like witches and like Puritans and colonies in early America, I think. Um, hadn't started it yet. I put, look, I put it on hold on Libby and it said six months and then it come through really quick. And I was like, yes. So nice. I have to read it really fast. Yeah. And I don't know. It, it seems to be one that would like check all my boxes because I love a good witch story. Yeah, that sounds really great. Um, beautiful. Oh, and we're going to put all these books and movies, anything we mentioned, don't forget about our bookshop. Our bookshop, is it dot com? Dot org. Dot org. Uh, Fantasy Girl podcast. We have, a shelf we have all of the books up there from our apocalypse episode my favorite apocalypse and i will be putting together the shelf for our horror mini series so you should if you're interested in any of these books that we mentioned you can click over there and get them like you know make it easy for you the link will be in the show notes absolutely 
Get those books. Get those books. <laughs> so, any last thoughts? I think that about covers it for this one. It's a wild ride. He loves me, yeah. he loves me not. And he did not. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think on our next episode, we're talking about Ma. Yes, we are. And lots of thoughts. Lots of thoughts about that movie. So, make sure uh, subscribe and come back and listen to that one. Catch you then.